Good morning again, church, and welcome wherever you're joining us from. It's great to have you here with the change in season, and it feels like spring, and maybe the onset of summer is almost here. There's also a little bit of change in decor at our house. Our kids said, Dad, your your backdrop is tired. It's been there too long, and so they offered to help decorate this morning. I'm not sure how you all are surviving during pandemic, but one of the ways that they're surviving is they've taken up painting. So this is some of their work surrounding me as we go to uh, God's Word this morning and teaching. And uh, I thank them for adding a little bit of flair uh, to this gathering. We've been working our way through Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you have your Bibles with you, let me invite you to open them now to Matthew in chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 19, Matthew 6, 19, Jesus teaching on treasure. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, then your whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? For no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. As we reflect on those words from Jesus this morning, I want to start by taking you on an imaginary trip to the junkyard. As you're looking around, I want you to imagine that everything that you see, every object in that junkyard was once an object of some great value. There was a day when that thing was bright and shiny and new, and somebody said, I want that, and I'm willing to pay good money for that. But then the moths got at it, or rust got at it, or thieves got to it, or it just got old, and it ended up here in the junkyard. It didn't last, and now nobody wants it. Stuff is that way. All stuff is that way. All the stuff that you have now is going to end up in a junkyard someday. You're just you're just kind of like the middleman. And the only difference between the merchandise in a junkyard and the merchandise that you'd see on the racks at Nordstrom or on the shelves at Best Buy or the parking lot at B&W, the only difference is time. Treasure is just junk waiting to happen. And so if you want the formula, here is the formula. Junk equals treasure plus time. Junk equals treasure plus time. Now, I saw an ad not too very long ago for a really, really expensive watch. It said, you never actually own a Patek Philippe. You merely look after it for the next generation. Uh, this isn't one, by the way. This is a citizen. But, but the reference in that ad was to a version of the Patek Philippe watch, the reference version which sells for, get this, $11.1 million. That's for a watch. A watch that someday, 
someday we'll wind up in a junkyard. There was a writer, a man named Roy Goebel, who spent years working in the junkyard business. He wrote a book about what he learned. He called it Junkyard Wisdom. And really, it's a book about how to deal with wealth as a follower of Jesus. He talks about his family. His family were all in the junkyard business. And he writes these amazing stories about people who came looking for treasure in the junkyard. His uncle, also a junkyard guy, claims that he bought a car for $50 and found a Stradivarius violin in the trunk. Now, Roy says the story is pretty suspect, but, but he gets to the point. He says, we are by nature treasure-loving, treasure-hunting people. Junk is just treasure plus time. That, that beautiful car is going to end up in somebody's junkyard. That valuable watch, that expensive table, those wonderful clothes. You know, you can get a sub-zero refrigerator. It'll cost a fortune, and it's still just junk waiting to happen. In fact, I, I, I read one consumer advocate who said sub-zero is actually the IQ of a person who would spend that much money on a refrigerator. Well, we've been learning together. We've been learning from the greatest talk of all time, from the Sermon on the Mount. And this week, we're going to be looking for some wisdom in this whole area of life that has to do with treasures and treasure hunting and the things that we treasure. You know, Christianity is is not alone in wanting to say something about that. There are other religious traditions, particularly the Eastern traditions, that say the greatest problem we have in life is desire, that we get attached to stuff. Buddhism says that that's the road that leads to suffering. And so the remedy is to learn not to desire anything at all, that the road to the good life is the elimination of all desires. But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? Jesus never says you shouldn't have treasure. People sometimes misunderstand Christianity as being somehow an anti-treasure religion. But, but Jesus understands. Jesus' claim is that everybody has treasures. Human beings are, by nature, treasuring creatures. That's just how God made us. A treasure, by the way, treasure is something, anything, that you try and hold on to because you place value on it. And we see this tendency in people really early on. We see young children, they will treasure a stuffed animal or some ratty old blanket, and their little soul just gets all wrapped up around it. It doesn't have to have any value financially. By the way, you are somebody's treasure. We'll come back to that. Nothing degrades a person, whether a child or an adult. Nothing degrades them more than scorning their treasure. Even somebody who's homeless or incarcerated, or maybe living in a refugee camp, they'll still have some old photo or letter, and it's absolutely a treasure to them. Or maybe you've noticed somebody that you love has died And in the wake of their death, some worthless article of clothing, some old pair of shoes that belong to them, suddenly become a treasure. There's something about treasuring, isn't there, that's just a deep and wonderful part of what it means to be a human being. As you're leafing through that passage in Matthew 6, those words, that word treasure kind of jumps out. 
In fact, it jumps out even more when you read the word that Jesus used in the language that's being written in the Bible. The word there in Greek is, get ready for it, thesaurus. Now, those of you who are deeply versed in the ancient languages, can you think what English word we get from the Greek word thesaurus? It's the word thesaurus. What is a thesaurus? It's a treasure trove of words. It's a treasure store of meaning. What's Jesus getting at? Our lives are meant to be treasure stores of meaning. Our lives are meant to be treasure stores of meaning. And Jesus uses that word or a variation of that word five times just in those few little sentences that we read. So don't feel bad about treasuring things. God God made us in that way, and I think he appreciates that capacity in us. We love and we treasure our children, and he loves and treasures us. He loves it when that instinct is freely expressed. And so Jesus never says, don't treasure anything. What he says is, don't treasure the wrong things. Don't wrap your eternal heart around earthly things that are just destined for the junkyard. And it's not because they're bad, it's just because they won't last. It's because they're temporary. A moth will get them, or if not, a moth, rust will. If rust doesn't get them, thieves will. Thieves don't get them. Your greedy little kids will get them after you die, because that's just what stuff is. It's going to wear out, it's going to give out, or burn out, or rust out, run out. Eventually, it's just going to be out. But not you. Remember, and we stress this every week in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says what is most real in life is what is unseen, beginning with God, your heavenly Father, who is unseen, and culminating in God's will. The language that Jesus uses for that is his kingdom, that place where his vision, his dream, his desire, his will and purpose for the world is made manifest. Physical stuff, you see, it's it's just stuff. It, it's just atoms and molecules put together in a certain way. Physical stuff isn't a treasure until it's treasured by someone, a, a treasurer. And that's you. You're a treasurer by God's design. Everybody has treasures, and that means that everybody has to find some strategy to shape what it is that they treasure. There's all kinds of people who work in the financial sector who are called market timers. Uh, more and more, that work is actually being done by computers. But, but whether it's computers run by human operators or just humans with that great instinct for the market, a market timer, what they'll do is watch very closely the stock market for signs that the market is going to drop and then they will sell before it drops, or that it's going to rise and they will reinvest as it's rising. Let me give you an example. IBM, big blue, you know, first listed on the New York Stock Exchange in 1915. Hard to imagine. It's been that long. So here's the question. If you had acquired one share of IBM stock, On the day that the market opened in 1915, how much would you be worth today? 
Those of you who are gifted with numbers or have experience in the market, if you had acquired one share of IBM stock on the day that it opened on the NYSC in 1915, how much would you be worth today? Turn to the person next to you really quickly and and tell them. And and if you want, uh, you're not sure, just guess the right answer. You ready for the answer? Got your calculators out? Here's the correct answer. If you bought one share of IBM stock in 1915, you would be dead today and you would be worth nothing at all. So we have a way of forgetting this. But Jesus never does. People are always wanting to time the market, buy low, sell high. Maybe some of you tried to sell off your investments a couple of months ago before everything crashed. But here's what you need to know when it comes to treasuring. That Jesus really is the ultimate market timer. And he says there are two markets. One is only ever temporary and the other is eternal. And Jesus is pretty bearish on the earthly market, but he's bullish on the heavenly one. Long before Jesus spoke those words in the Sermon on the Mount, the writer of the book of Proverbs wrote something. If you want, you can flip to it now. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. This is what Proverbs says. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Cast only a glance at riches, for they're gone. They'll surely sprout wings and they'll fly off to the sky like an eagle. The more recent version of that little bit of wisdom, it's a a two-line poem called Money Talks. It goes something like this. That money talks, I'll not deny. I heard it once. It said, goodbye. So Jesus is very pro-treasure. And he gives us, in the Sermon on the Mount, probably the greatest investment tip of all time. Comes in verse 19, Matthew 6, 19. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, as you keep those words in mind, think back to the most important command in the Bible, in the whole Judeo-Christian tradition. Is it not this one from Deuteronomy 6, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength? That is, you treasure God above all else. You treasure him above everything. You love him. You think about him. You meditate on him and worship him. You delight in him. When it comes to God, you adore him and thank him and serve him and prize him. You, you're surrendered to his will and you're grateful for his gifts. You're directed toward his purpose and you are secure in his love. You cannot treasure God too much. And folks, any investment strategy that revolves around storing up a bunch of stuff here is just kind of a bad strategy. I read this analogy years ago. Some of you have heard it before. It comes from a study that we did back in in 2018, but found it really helpful. Imagine you're checking yourself into a room at Motel 6, but, but when you get in, you're not content with your room. And so you go out to bed, bath, and beyond, and you buy the world's softest towels for your bathroom. And then you go to an art gallery, and you buy some really expensive 
lavish, extravagant paintings for the walls. And then you go to sleep country and you get the world's greatest mattress for the bed. And and then you go to Best Buy and you get a widescreen 4K TV to go in the room. And you would be a really rare, bizarre kind of person for doing all of that. Why? Because people check out of the motel usually really soon. Isn't that the number one rule in the hotel game? Get people in and get them out. Cycle it through. Why would you invest huge amounts of resources into something when you're going to check out soon? Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6, in verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. What's he getting at there? The idea is that to live well, to live in God's kingdom, I need to see clearly. I need to see things of worth. What happens is that greed and consumerism and and chronic discontent and a lack of generosity they make me see the world in the wrong way. And instead of looking at what I have and being profoundly grateful, instead of looking at people in need and being deeply generous, instead of looking at God and being confident and secure, I look at what other people had and I'm just overcome with envy. That's the darkness. And Jesus talks about how that darkness can fill a whole life. There's this old parable. Uh, it's attributed, I think, to a Danish philosopher, a man named Soren Kierkegaard. He talks about thieves breaking into a jewelry shop, but instead of taking anything, they just they switch around all the price tags. And the next day, as people come into shop, they don't know the real value of anything, and they wind up spending a fortune to acquire some utterly worthless piece of junk. Why? Because somebody switched the tags. Well, here's the idea. All day long, we walk through this world filled with an abundance of the things that God treasures most. You know what that is? It's people. It's people. There's this amazing statement in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32 says, The Lord's portion is his people, God's people, his allotted inheritance. See, in that time, in the ancient world, the gods were infamous because they didn't love people. They just used people. They were fickle. They were angry. They were the furthest thing from dependable or caring. Only the God pointed to in Scripture, the one true God, treasures people. That's the point we said that we wanted to come back to. You are somebody's treasure. God is so determined to treasure you that he sent his son Jesus to live and teach and then to die, to die on a cross for you and not just you. This is important. Every human being has an invisible price tag hanging on their life. You know what it says? Created for eternity. Bearing the image of God and worth the life of God's own Son. 
So who switched the tags? See, life in the kingdom of earth means we treasure money and we use people to get it. But life in the kingdom of God means we treasure people and we use money. The deepest desire of the human heart is to be treasured. Here's the deal. Every human heart needs this. Everyone does. Sometimes we restrict that idea to the realm of romantic love, even in churches. And and sometimes it feels like the message that is given is that married people, they're treasured within that relationship. But, But what does that say about single people? So I want to say this really clearly. God treasures you. Married, single, divorced, separated, rich, poor, black, white, brown, atheist, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, gay, straight, young, old, happy, sad, whatever, whatever descriptor applies to your life, the God of the universe treasures you. And then he invites us. I mean, through Jesus, he commands us to treasure the things that he treasures. And God gives this profound little bit of spiritual direction here. In chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says tellingly, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, be careful where you invest your treasure, because whatever that is, wherever that is, your heart goes there and gets wrapped up in that. But the good news is this, we can actually use money. It's a helpful tool. We can use it. We can send it out into those areas where we want our hearts engaged because our hearts have a tendency to follow our money. Stuff is just temporary. Junk is just treasure plus time. But people, people have eternal significance. And if you invest your money in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, if if you sponsor a child care center in the Philippines for kids who have none of the opportunities that you and I take for granted, if you sponsor a refugee fleeing persecution, or if you help equip and serve a ministry like Scott Mission or The Open Door, your heart will go there. One of the most financially successful people I know is also one of the most generous I asked him, what did you do when you were first starting out? And he said that he and his wife, they were first starting out, they decided to live by what's often called the 10-10-80 plan. And he recommends the same thing to everyone just starting out. And here was the idea. The idea is that you take the first 10% of your income and you set it aside for God's work. In the Bible, it's sometimes called the tithe, the first 10%. You just, you do it right off the top. And you use it to support things that treasure what God treasures most, people. And then then the next 10%, you put it into savings. First you invest in God's work, then you invest in your family. You create an emergency fund to begin with. And then you begin to prepare for your kid's education or for retirement or for a home. And then after you've done that, You use the next 80% to live on. You don't spend that first, you spend it last. Now, the man I'm thinking about, he lives on way, way, way less than 80% of his income. He actually gives away the vast majority of his income because that's where his heart is. 
You see, when Jesus says to store up treasure in heaven, remember, treasure isn't just someplace way up there in the clouds that we hope to get to one day, and maybe there'll be a big mansion waiting for you when you die. No, the kingdom of heaven begins right here. It's what Jesus said. Behold, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I begin as I have treasure and use it and invest it and with generosity and finding meaningfulness and joy right now, I can enjoy the kingdom, a little bit of heaven right here. This storing up treasure in heaven, it can begin, if you'd like, just with that simple 10-10-80 plan. Pretty simple. If you have kids, teach them the 10-10-80 plan. Model it for them. Now, since this since this pandemic crisis began, A strange thing has happened in the life of our church. We've seen a huge uptick in generosity. Friends, you know we received in the month of April more money into our benevolent fund than we used to see in a whole year. That's people whose hearts are radically oriented in the direction of what God treasures most, the needs of people. I want to say thank you for your generosity. Thank you for allowing us the joy and the privilege of being able to come into people's lives and saying, in Jesus' name, we want to make sure that you know you're loved and cared for. It's all going to end up in the junkyard anyway, so so don't let it tell you what to do. That's why Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, verse 24, that no one can serve two masters One way to think about it is this, and I'll leave it with you. Money's a good tool, but it's a lousy treasure. Money's a good tool, but it's a bad treasure. It's a tool that you can use to meet life needs and care for your family and provide for retirement, but it's also a way you can express your trust in God and your alignment with his purposes and your generosity for other people. It's a great tool to use as part of God's mission to make the world a better place. But it's a bad thing. It's a lousy thing to make money your treasure because then it actually becomes your master. You see, there's this profound truth that we see at work in the Sermon on the Mount that you'll be shaped by whatever it is that you treasure. If you treasure money, you'll be shaped by greed. If you treasure security, you'll be shaped by fear. If you treasure approval, you're going to be shaped by your reputation. If you treasure success above all else, you'll be shaped by achievement. If you treasure your physical appearance, you'll be ruled by vanity. If you treasure power, you'll be shaped by arrogance. But if you treasure God, you will be shaped by love. One last comment. If you ever find yourself worried about money, and so many of us do these days, if you ever worry about not having enough to be able to pay your bills or to be able to educate your kids, If you ever worry about the cost of living or being able to afford retirement, 
If you ever worry about money or or anything else for that matter, Jesus has in the Sermon on the Mount the most staggering, profoundly life-changing advice on managing anxiety in human history. And Pastor Sheldon will be leading us through that teaching next week. You won't want to miss it. I hope you'll join us again. Let me pray for you and, and pray for this week as we enter it together. You join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that all the words, all the ideas that you have sown into our hearts and minds today, that you would nurture them and guard them. And pray that they would take root and produce a harvest of, of many wonderful things, things of beauty and impact and great blessing, not just for ourselves, but for so many. Now, as we, as we prepare to, to sing and then tune out of this worship service and tune back into the affairs of our lives, we thank you, Lord, for all the ways that you walk with us. May we be alert to the prompting of your Spirit. Live in the endlessness of your love. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.